to some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters. I'm Shah. I'm Ollie. And we're Creeping It in the Family, a podcast where we dish details about all things horror. Episode 11. 11. We fact-checked before. This is the first one in two weeks you aren't fucked up. I'm really proud of you. What you do? So it's Shah's, this is your spin-off episode. Spin-off. And you're doing a, a ghost the stories? creepiest stories on Reddit. Right. How many I mean, got? this is subjective because, you know. So... Uh, shall I rate them on believability and scariness? I mean, they're not supposed to be... Well, yeah, I suppose. Like, the red, the red as if they're believable, I suppose. So I'll rate them on believability as in, like, how much I believe. Say, if, I'll rate them as if my friend was saying this to me and I'd be like, oh, are you bullshitting or fucking hell? Yeah, they're telling the truth. Right, and there's five scariness. stories. There's five stories. Right. Let's okay. go then. So... I really, I, I forgot to check who the author was of these, so really sorry, but if you're on here, like, you're welcome, because you've got a free shout out to all of one person. <laughs> so this one, this first one is, there's something seriously weird about our new house. I just bought a new house. New to us, at least. The house is 50 years old and comes with all the wonderful trappings of an older home. Scribbled walls, dirty closets, a leaky roof, and even a family of mice. The thing that annoys me the most, though, is the growth chart of the previous residents' children. On the wall of the master bedroom closet are successive tick marks, in pen, not pencil, because they were horrible people who had no respect for their dwelling. Each one was named and dated Frank, 1083, Julia, 585. Still staring at that her, my husband asked, when he came into the bedroom and found me scowling into the closet. Yup. He joined me and examined the wall. Huh, I thought. The previous owner only had two kids. Yeah, she did. So? Why the three names? What do you mean? Jay walked over and pointed to a tick mark. It's one of the shortest ones, only a few feet off the ground. Matt, not with Frank or Julia, but the name Sam. I scanned the rest of the marks, but there was no other mark for Sam. Just the one. Huh, that's weird. Then my heart sank. Maybe they had a child that died young. Oh no, it's probably not that. Probably a friend just wanted to be measured or something. Yeah. I already felt bad for the previous owner. She was an older woman, or so we heard, and this house had been in foreclosure when we bought it. Had she lost a child in addition to a home? What a horrible thing to happen. Over the coming days, the tick marks weighed on my mind. Not only because of the tragedy, Jay and I were in the midst of trying to conceive our first child, and the tick marks felt like a cruel mockery of how long it was taking. And so, every time I opened the closet to get dressed, my eyes shot down to that one tick mark, Sam. Sometimes I'd be depressed about not being pregnant, but other times a horrible image would flash through my mind. A faceless child choking on a snack, drowning in a pool, getting hit by a car. Can we paint the closet, I asked. Jay looked up at me from the TV. Um, I guess. But you know, it'd be better to do it in a few months when I'm off the... Please, it's really bothering me. He sighed. Okay, sure. So he picked up the paint, a beautiful neutral colour, somewhere between beige, grey and white. On Saturday morning, after breakfast, I went up to the bedroom and began emptying the closet. Ugh, 
I muttered to myself. I have a lot of clothes. In fact, my clothes overflow into Jay's designated rack, which he's not happy about. I started with work clothes. They were the closest to the door. Lay the blouses flat on the floor, folded the skirts neatly in half. I was halfway through my rack when I first saw it. A little bit of red cloth poking out from all the business greys and whites of my wardrobe. My eyebrows furrowed. I didn't remember any clothes in red that I owned. The colour always clashed slightly with my auburn hair. I pushed apart the hangers. What? On the rack hung a kid's outfit. A red shirt and denim overalls. It looked so old, but not old in a worn way. Not torn and stained with stitching coming loose. No, it was crisp and clean, but the denim was faded and the style of shirt looked dated. There was no tag, but it looked like it would probably fit a two or three year old. Jay? I asked. He turned from his clothes, an old t-shirt hooked on his arm. What? What's this? Oh, I have no idea. Maybe the owner's left it here. I'm pretty sure the closet was empty when we moved in. Maybe we missed it. I think I would have noticed it. Okay, well, either way, I'll go throw it out. I stood there, alone, the unease building in my chest. I would have noticed if there was some random kid's outfit left over in the closet. Not to mention it was hanging right in the middle of my clothes, but I tried to forget about it. We spent the rest of the afternoon emptying the closet. Then we got to work with the paint. It took all weekend to finish, but at the end the closet looked more beautiful than ever before. I waited a few days to put my clothes back. I didn't want them all to smell like paint. It was on Tuesday that I began. With clothes on my arm and my heart full, I swung the door open. I froze. There at the end of the closet where the tick marks used to be, one remained. Sam, 10.79. The others were completely gone, painted over, but that one remained as if it had bled right through the coats of paint. Jay, I shouted. He was there in seconds. I threw my arms around him, clung to him tightly. I didn't even realise I was crying until I heard a voice above me. Are you okay? Carrie? The mark's still there, I managed. I guess I missed a spot. I'm sorry. I'll touch it up right now. I don't... I don't know why I'm crying. I don't know why it bothers me so much. I do. He pulled me tighter. In two months we hit the year mark and that means we should see a doctor. You know, if there's a reason. He was right. But I'd forgotten all about that. The months had all blurred together and I hadn't kept very good track. You're right, I sniffled, wiping at my eyes. I'm going to paint it over right now, okay? His arms withdrew, and I listened to his footsteps recede, then thump down the stairs. The slam of the garage door was heard. I stood there at the closet door, watched him pour the paint into the bin, dip the roller in, and roll it neatly over Sam's growth mark. The streak of wet paint glistened in the closet light. And just like that, the mark was gone. We moved back into the master bedroom the next day, I spent most of the evening hanging my clothes back up and pushing the bins of assorted junk back inside. All the marks were gone, and my anxiety slipped away with it. Are you feeling better? Jay asked me as I sat down on the bed. Yeah. He reached over and squeezed my hand. As soon as we have enough money, we should take a vacation. Maybe to Hawaii. You've always wanted to see Hawaii, right? I snuggled against his shoulder. That would be awesome. I want to get one of those lava rocks. You mean like pumice or obsidian? He shrugged. You need to study up on rocks, man. Hey, 
I got you a good diamond, didn't I? I wrapped my arms around him, breathing in the clean smell of his shirt. Yeah, you did. We fell asleep early, around 10pm. I was feeling better about everything and the worries slipped easily from my mind. Then I woke with a start. I glanced at the nightstand, 3.12am, according to the nightstand clock. I sighed and slowly withdrew my hands from around Jay. Then I rolled over. What? The door to the closet was open. Just a few inches, but it was open, and I could see the slice of pitch black among the shadows across the bedroom. Didn't we close it? I pushed myself up on the pillows, squinting into the darkness. Something about it didn't feel right, at all. I slowly got out of bed, walked across the room, the carpet soft under my feet. I reached for the light switch, then yanked the door open. My heart dropped. All over the walls, the name Sam scrawled across the fresh paint in frenzied strokes of pen. Sam, 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 stretching up to the ceiling, down to the floor. I slammed the door shut, leapt back from the closet and began to scream. Then Jay's arms were around me, holding me, hugging me, bring me back to bed. We need to call the police. Someone, someone's been in here. Just calm down. Calm down? Someone broke in and wrote all over our fucking wall. Jay squeezed my hand. I'm going to get you a cup of water, okay? What? You think I'm making it up? Go look in there for yourself. He didn't reply. He just got up from the bed, giving me a sad smile, and started for the stairs. His footsteps faded away, but I couldn't move. He thinks I'm going crazy. I'll show him that I'm not. I stood up from the bed and started to the closet. But I only got halfway when the fear set in. Had I imagined seeing Sam written all over the walls? I only saw it for an instant. I could have been half asleep when I walked over to the closet, and the writing was just a projection of my dream. I had to know. I forced myself the rest of the way and pulled the door open. No, the writing was still there. Sam, 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 written everywhere as if in a frenzied craze. I opened my mouth, but no sound came out. All I could do was stand there, staring, paralysed. And then it happened. In the corner of my eye, I saw the clothing move. The row of dark blazers on the right, just a soft rustle a few feet off the ground. Like a child was moving through them. I grabbed the closet door, slammed it shut, retreated to the bed, shaking, terrified. Jay, I finally screamed. Footsteps on the stairs, he burst back in, holding a cup of water, the liquid sloshing in the glass. What? What happened? There's someone. I saw the clothes move. Oh God, oh God, I swear I saw a child in there. Okay, okay. Jay walked towards the closet, clearly not believing me. I gripped the covers, too scared to move. He swung the door open, half closing it behind him. Holy shit, Jay's voice slightly muffled. You're right, there's writing everywhere. Get out of there, I shrieked, reaching for the phone. I swear to you, I saw someone in there. There's no one in here, I'm searching through all the clothes, it's... His voice abruptly cut off. Jay? Silence. Jay? I pulled myself out of bed, my heart pounding in my chest. I started for the closet, the golden light spilling out of the opening out onto the carpeted floor. I stood in front of it, just a few feet from the opening. Jay, I whispered. Not silence this time. A soft giggle. A child's giggle. I pulled the door open. Jay stood in the middle of the room, absolutely still his face frozen in a horrible expression of fear. And down on the floor, 
Oh God, the sight of it brought bile into my throat. Not a ghost child, not a dead body, a woman. She sat on the floor, nestled among our clothes, ragged grey hair tangled around her face, a wild look in her eyes, a pen in her hand. She opened her mouth, but instead of words, instead of speaking to us, she let out a high-pitched giggle, trying to sound like a child. Then she snapped around to us, and staring at us with wild blue eyes, she whispered, This is his home, and you have taken it. That's it. Ooh. I feel like you're ready to sleep. No, I close my eyes because it helps me, like, visualise what's happening. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I can imagine... what I'm putting words to pictures in my mind. Okay. Because my eyes just helps. Um... It was good. It was well written. Scariness. I'll go with a, a five. Okay. Because, it's a good starter. Yeah. Well, like, like I said, the, the next ones will be compared to that one, I'd mm. imagine. Uh, believability. I'd, I'd say... I'm, a, I'm not going to rate this from a point of a sceptic because then, essentially, they're all wonkers. These are just people's stories. Mm. So in terms of... Well, there's nothing really sceptic about well do it. I think, how well do I think it's fabricated? I'd say like an eight. Yeah. Because it's nothing like chairs and start getting thrown across the no. room. No. It was a person. Like, and it wasn't a ghost. Yeah. I think the the the, guy, the boyfriend sounds like a bit of a dickhead. Like, yeah. Just, just walk past I'll the closet. I'll go get you some water. And it's like, well, no, why don't you fucking go look in there first? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was quite a good story, that. Yeah, I quite liked I it. I enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad. Okay, so the second story out the lot is The Limping Woman. You hear the uneven footsteps first. Drag, click, drag, click. That's how you know she's behind you. The heel is broken off of her left shoe and she drags it across the ground with every step, a sharp contrast to the steady click of her still intact pump. Help me, she whispers. It's an urgent, anguished plea. Please, I'm hurt. Help me. Don't turn around. That's when she gets you. Don't run. She still gets you. But this time, she's going to make it hurt. At least that's the rumour anyway. Every small town has at least one. A local urban legend that everyone knows and swears is true because their sisters, best friends, cousins, neighbours, grandson knew a fella who actually encountered it. Ours was the limping woman, so named for her aforementioned distinct gait. It was sad that she was a teacher at the elementary school some decades before she was murdered. Young, beautiful and the victim of a terrible murder. She had been walking home to the house she shared with her parents one night after school when she realised she was being followed. She sped up and so did her pursuer until both were running down this dark country lane with only open farmland on either side. Her heel broke and her ankle snapped and she fell and her pursuer became her murderer. It was a slow, torturous affair that left her beaten and covered in stab wounds, and when the killer was done, he just left her to bleed out beside the road. She wasn't found until the next morning, and by then, all anyone could do was search for the person responsible. While some believe the man was caught and dealt with not long after, others think he or she is still at large, and the limping woman, as the victim became known, won't rest until her killer is caught. I was always sceptical at best of the story. I'd passed the spot where she was supposed to appear a hundred times without incident, as did everyone else I knew. If a murderous ghost lived there, I was pretty sure I'd have seen her. 
I said as much to my friend Steffi when she brought up that a friend of a friend of a friend had met the limping woman during lunch at school one day. It's true. She was out on the old highway a couple of nights ago and saw her, Steffi insisted, stubbornly over our sandwiches. If she actually saw her, wouldn't she be dead? I asked. I thought you weren't supposed to turn around. Heard her, whatever, you know what I mean, Rena. Sure, I said, with a roll of my eyes. It always frustrated Steffi that I didn't share her willingness to believe the unbelievable. So, how'd she get away? She said the words, duh. Oh, right, the woman's last words. Last words we all somehow know without ever having caught the one person who would have heard them. We know them because the real killer was never caught. He told people who told other people. And we all just magically knew to use them to ward off being killed, I finished for her. Steffi frowned. She loved all things spooky and supernatural and had spent a lot of time researching our local legends, especially the limping woman. It's not magic. It just reminds her of her own mother and she gets distracted by her grief and leaves you alone. Okay, okay, I said, hoping that would be enough to put an end to the topic. It was an argument neither of us would win and I didn't feel like getting into, again, over whether or not a ghost was real. At 15, it was starting to feel silly. Steffi, however, wasn't going to let me off so easily. They say she remains because they got the wrong guy and she's got angry about it. Like everyone knew it, but no one cared because they wanted to blame someone. Don't you feel at least a little bad for her? She's still waiting for justice after all this time. Steffi, she only goes after people who don't believe in her, you know. I didn't like the way Steffi said that, like she had an idea forming that I wouldn't approve of, and I shook my head. Whatever it is, no. We could go out there, out to the spot she haunts. No, don't be dumb, I said. You don't believe anyway, so what's the big deal? I've walked past there a lot, okay? Nothing's ever happened. Have you gone after dark? Steffi had started to smile. No, but so what? That's when she's active. Going in the day doesn't count. This is dumb, I said again. We'll go tonight. Every argument I had was met with questions of whether I was too afraid and Steffi mocking me for being chicken. She kept it up for the rest of lunch, through our shared science class, and then passed me notes in the hall between our classes after that. By the time the final bell rang, she had worn me down. But not because I believe she's there, I made sure she knew. I'm just going, so you shut up. The sun set just after five that evening. At seven, we met up on our bikes in front of my neighbourhood. Her parents thought she was doing a project at mine, mine thought I was at hers, and we had two hours to ride out to the farm where the limping woman was said to haunt and get back before they started trading phone calls. We pedalled hard and fast, leaving behind the glow from windows and street lamps until darkness swallowed up the world around us. With only moonlight to guide us, we wove our way across town and passed into the outskirts where the insects were louder, the stars brighter, and the safety that came from feeling like you were surrounded by other people fell away. It was hard not to feel entirely exposed out on that old road, where flat fields rolled off into the distance on either side. There was the occasional barn or farmhouse set a ways off down long dusty drives, but otherwise, it was really just us and our bikes in the night. Up ahead, Steffi said from behind me, see the cross? That's the marker for her. We skid to a stop a few yards away from it and exchanged a glance almost lost in the shadows. Scared? she asked, breathless with excitement. No, I said. It was an honest enough answer. I was nervous, sure, but who wouldn't be when you're outside after dark? 
Remember, if you turn around, she gets you. If you try to run, she makes it worse. Just stand still when she's close by and say the words. Steffi spoke so seriously that I had to stifle a giggle. It was ridiculous. I kept trying to tell that to all the butterflies stirring in my stomach, but it didn't do much good. We climbed off our bikes and set them on their kickstand. Steffi groped about for my hand and entwined her fingers with mine. She was shaking. Ready? Let's just get it over with, I replied. We walked up to where the cross was placed and paused. Steffi squeezed my hand and took in a slow, shuddering breath. Her fear was starting to have an effect on me, quickening my heartbeat, but I squared my shoulders and clenched my jaw and took a step forward. We crept along the roadside, careful to keep our pointed eyes straight ahead. Steffi kept reminding me in a trembling whisper that looked anywhere else could lead to trouble. A minute or two passed. It couldn't have been longer despite feeling like it, and nothing seemed to happen. My fear began to ebb, replaced by an admittedly relieved giddiness, that I had been right, and I almost turned to Steffi to say I told you so. And then I realised how quiet it was. All the insects that had been singing loudly when we arrived had gone silent. There were no distant calls from nightbirds, no breeze passing over us, nothing. Just the sound of our own breathing. To my surprise, Steffi sighed disappointed. I wondered if she'd realised how quiet everything had become. How could she not feel how claustrophobic it had become out on the open road? How closed off we were in the dark and the silence? I wanted to ask her, but the question was like a knot in my throat that I couldn't untangle. Behind us, grass rustled, followed by the crunch of loose gravel underfoot, like someone was pulling themselves slowly out of the field and onto the road. Drag click, drag, click. Every hair on my body stood up at once. Rena, I hadn't realised that my grip on Steffi's hand had tightened so much. I could feel her eyes on me, but couldn't bring myself to look at her. From somewhere over my shoulder, a woman started to sob softly. Help me, she cried plaintively. Rena, Steffi said again. Shh, she's coming. I managed to whisper. Instead of being scared, Steffi snorted. <laughs> Real funny. I get it, okay? The limping woman is just made up. I'm convinced now. You don't have to rub it in. Drag. Click. Drag. Click. The unmistakable sound of someone inching towards us, slowly, painfully crying out with each step. Please, she begged. I'm still hurt and he's still out there. Steffi, I hissed, tears burning in my eyes. She's coming. There must have been something in my voice, a tightness that only true terror could cause, that convinced my friend that I wasn't just pretending. She grabbed my forearm with her other hand and clutched it until her nails were digging into my skin. She only goes after people who don't believe, Steffi said. That must be why. What do I do? I begged, my mind white and blank. My entire body was screaming to run, to get away from that thing that was getting closer and closer. But Steffi's firm grasp and my own mounting dread held me in place. Please, the woman sobbed. Turn around, help me. The words, Steffi said hurriedly. You have to say the words when she's right behind you. What words? I wanted to scream. But I couldn't speak or think. I could only hear her. Drag, click, drag. The legend said you'd hear 
unbelieving footsteps and be forced to listen to her pleas. But no one ever mentioned the smell. The stench of rot and earth and blood oozed through the air, slowly surrounding me and wrapping itself around me like tentacles, smothering me. I gagged and pressed my free hand over my mouth and shook my head violently, trying to clear it, trying to make sense of things. Steffi was jerking on my arm and saying something to me over and over again, but I could barely hear her over the limping woman's cries. The smell was getting so strong, making my stomach pitch and heave until I thought I'd be sick. I leaned heavily on Steffi and she pulled me in closer that her lips were beside my ear. Through the veil of panic and nausea, I heard her scream. Say the words! Drag, click, drag, click. The limping woman was so close behind us now that I could feel the chill radiating off of her. The words, I thought, I had to say the words. It just reminds me of her own mother and she gets distracted by her grief and leaves you alone. I heard Steffi's voice from the previous day echo in my head. Her mother... The words reminded of her mother, the limping woman's last words. Please, bile rose in the back of my throat. My, my mother's waiting for me. The footsteps stopped and were replaced by a high-pitched, heart-wrenching keen. From somewhere off in the night, a dog started to howl. Insects began to sing again. The wind whistled across the field. Sounds of normalcy, of life. Back to the bikes, I raced. I never once looked up from the ground. The only thing I saw as we darted by was a pair of feet in torn stockings and pumps, the heel of which was missing on the left. We didn't stop riding until we made it back to my lawn, and when we got there, I raced to the bushes on the side of the house and vomited. Steffi claimed she didn't hear or see anything that night, but she believes that I did. She believes that I encountered the limping woman. I tried to come up with some kind of rationalisation for it, like power of suggestion or something, but when I think back to those footsteps and those sobs and that final scream, I know that there is only explanation. And now I too believe in the limping woman. Nice. Thank you. Preferred that one to the last one. Believability is not as much because it's an urban legend, mm. essentially. But it's it's scarier. Yeah, it's a good urban legend. Give it a four for believability and an eight for scariness. Ooh. And I like how it delves into the... I heard on Jack Makes Happy Hour podcast was talking about urban legends and stuff, and he asked a question like, "Do you do you believe in Bloody Mary that if you say in front of a mirror she'll appear?" No. But if I asked you to do it, would you do it? No. If I get offered to give a five, would you do it? No. And the reason is because even though most people, unless you're a serious skeptic, like I don't believe it's Bloody Mary exists. But just off that not point not 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 one percent chance, <laughs> chance she does. Gonna happen. <laughs> I'm not gonna take that chance. Do you not so. remember when Zach came to sleep over when you were really really young, and I told you about Bloody Mary, and you two shat yourselves. Ugh. You were so scared. You just go show that even skeptical people. There's still that element of fear in them because otherwise yeah, I just it. there is obviously. I'd imagine a lot of people who'd just be like, yeah, fuck it, I'll do it. But to the to the general person who's not a believer, but well, it's like, like the elevator game that you talked about, yeah. the ritual. Like, it. I don't think it's real, you just, but you still won't try I would it, never though. do it. Yeah, that was a good one. Thank I you. That one. Okay, so story number three. A package marked return to sender. My neighbour is one of those annoying wannabe YouTube personalities. Over the years, I've seen him cough out cinnamon, lay flat on the hood of his car as it slowly creeps down the driveway and douse himself in lukewarm water, all the while screaming, epic win, epic fail, or oh, fuck, epic maintenance of the status quo, for all I know. 
it can get tiring to watch him go about his shenanigans in the pursuit of viral fame. So when he knocked on my door the other day, told me he was going away for a few weeks and asked that I get his mail, honestly, it was a relief. I can't explain the peace of mind I had knowing I didn't have to brace myself for any of his stupidity for a while. I was always afraid his stunts would wind up bleeding over into my life. Things were pretty normal for the first couple of days. He received a few bills, a bit of spam, and from what I could only assume was a birthday card. Then one evening, I got home to find a cardboard box waiting on his front porch. In big red letters was returned to sender. I'm no small fry, but I admit I had trouble lifting the box on my own. It was really freaking heavy. Lugging it across the road to my house was even harder, and I quickly realised there was no way I was going to drag it up the stairs and through my front door. I decided I'd leave his package in my garage. It wasn't like I kept my car in there. The garage door was a piece of shit that refused to open without a good thug and a whack. It was less trouble just leaving the car in the driveway than it was to fight with the garage door every morning and night. In hindsight, I should have set the package down while I struggled to open the tricky door, but you know how it is when you've got a good grip on something. No point in settling it down if you don't have to. It was as I kicked the door for a third time that I lost my grip on the package and it fell to the ground. I heard a light crack inside. Shit, I cursed. I hoped I hadn't broken anything important, but figured I just wouldn't tell my neighbour about it and let him assume the break happened en route. Hands free, I finally managed to get the garage door unstuck and boy did it screech in protest as it rolled up and over me. I dragged the box the rest of the way, setting it in the corner for whenever my neighbour would come back to claim it. And then I forgot all about it. Until a few days past, that is. I'm not exactly sure how long it took for the smell to waft in from the crack under the garage to house door, but it came in in slow progression. It was a sickly sweet odour similar to a skunk, and for the first few days after I smelled it, I genuinely assumed that's exactly what it was, roadkill that had left its mark on my house. It was only when I realised the scent was growing more intense, instead of fading, that I went looking for a source. That's when I opened the garage door, and that's when the odour knocked me back, holding my nose. The culprit wasn't hard to identify. The only change in my garage was the box in the corner. I remember thinking it must have been one of those meat-of-the-month subscription boxes. The meat must have gone rancid from being left out of the fridge for so long. How much meat could have been in there for a box to have been so large and heavy? An entire freaking cow! I covered my nose as I approached the box, a pair of scissors in my hands. I probably wouldn't have needed them to open it, as it had become soggy enough at the bottom to poke through with a finger, but I wasn't about to poke my finger in spoiled meat juices. That soggy bottom was the reason I had to open the box in the first place. If I tried to drag it out whole, everything would spill out onto the floor. I was going to have to dump the pieces of meat one garbage bag at a time and take them down to the dumpster, a process I wasn't looking forward to. My sister tore through the tape along the top of the cardboard box. I thought the smell couldn't get any worse, but as I flipped the flaps open, I discovered a whole new gamut of stink. It was like opening a burning oven, but instead of a heat wave, I was met with waves of piss, sweat, shit and putrefaction. It was so bad that I staggered back and had to force down the puke begging to guzzle out of me. I don't think I could have handled that scent mingling with the horrors coming out of the box. I'm not ashamed to admit I ran out the door for a breath of fresh air, but in the short time I'd spent in the garage, the smell had become so ingrained in the fabric of my clothes that it clung to me like a shadow. 
Nothing I tried could keep the smell out of my clothes or my nostrils. Not air fresheners, not a face mask, not three showers and a change of clothes. Every second that box lay open in my garage was another second the smell was allowed to foothold into my home. I had to bite the bullet. I returned to the garage, the flaps of the box still open, as though inviting me to look. I was prepared. A clothespin pegging my nostrils shut, a garbage bag in one hand, the strongest cleaner I could find in the other, and long rubber gloves to keep my skin from having to touch what was inside. But as it turns out, I needed none of those things. I wouldn't have to touch or clean the contents of that box. I would only have to suffer the nightmares every night. You see, there was meat in that box, but it didn't come from a cow or a pig. No, it was worse than that. It was my neighbour. Dead. Still in one piece, but dead. I called the cops, and naturally they took me in for interrogation. It's kind of hard not to suspect the man with a corpse in his garage after all. Thankfully, they soon realised I wasn't involved. My DNA might have been all over that box. The smell might have left a mark throughout my house. But there was one piece of irrefutable evidence in my neighbour's own hands that proved my innocence. A vlogging camera. They showed me the footage only once. I'm not sure if they were allowed to or if they felt so bad for me they figured it couldn't hurt. Either way, I saw it. My neighbour was sitting in the box outside of a shipping facility, laughing as he told the world how he was going to mail himself across state lines. He brought pee bottles, food, a pillow and a few flashlights. His friend, a guy I'd seen at this place several times to help with his stunts, closed the lid and presumably dropped him off a shipment. Through the next couple of hours or days, I'm honestly not sure. My neighbour recorded a few short clips about his progress. I think I'm in a truck now. I can feel it moving. Must be in a warehouse. Pretty warm here. Still got plenty of food. That kind of stuff. And then, on the last entry, the box toppled over. He broke his neck, and that was it. The camera recorded until either the memory card got too full or the battery died. There's one thing I didn't tell the police after they showed me the video. One thing I heard in the footage that will still haunt me to the day I die. Just after the tumble that broke his neck, I heard the familiar screeching sound of my garage door. So she killed him. Fucking she dropped hell. the package. That he dropped one. The package. It's not very scary. I'd give it a three for scary believability. I give it a nine because there's some fucking idiots who'll do anything to try and get famous nowadays. So that's I can believe that one. Yeah, it took me a while when I read through this. It took me a good two minutes to think about it and think. Right, what's the neck cracking got to do with the garage yeah. door? Like, did somebody murder him in the garage? And I was like, oh my God, he dropped the box. That's quite a scary one. Like, believably scary one. Not scary as in, like, haunting rope. But that could eat, that could happen. And I bet, I bet, I guarantee you somewhere there's been some instances where people tried to mail like themselves. That. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a creepy one. Yeah, it was a good one, that. So I've got two more to go. This one called The Apartment is just a little bit shorter than my other ones but the last one is quite a long one and it's known famously as one of the scariest stories on reddit right so this one is the apartment i lived in an old apartment in 2002 the place was built in the 1900s so it was just over 100 years old when i moved in the living room and kitchen were fine but the bathroom and bedroom were unnerving like i just always felt like i was being watched especially in the bedroom if the closet door was open those unnerving feelings just became moderately uncomfortable as I settled in. I felt safe in the bedroom, but only if the door was locked. One night, I was dead asleep when there was a loud bang on my bedroom door. When I got up the courage to get out of bed, 
I checked the apartment, and all the windows were closed and locked from the inside. The door still had the chain secured. No one was in there. I mentioned the closet in the bedroom. I never liked going in there, and I never liked it if the door was open. For some reason in my head, I would hear gasping noises. So for that reason, the closet stayed closed. A month or more after I was woken up to the bang on my door, I was dead asleep once again. But something woke me up, and it was a pressure on me like being held down. It was pitch black in my room. I couldn't see anything, but I knew someone was standing over me. When I could finally turn on a bedside lamp, no one was there. After then, I couldn't sleep in the dark. I had to sleep with a lamp on. That incident scared the life out of me. And after that, the unnerving feeling of being watched intensified. Friends would come over and comment about being uncomfortable in the bathroom like being watched. It became so uncomfortable for me. When I had the chance to move to another unit, I jumped at it. I packed up and got out. After me, several people rented the apartment and they would move out within months. I became friendly with the building manager and I told him that I felt the place was haunted. He kind of laughed it off. Years after, they were renovating the place. Building manager was doing some painting in there. The building owner was there too. I went and checked out the apartment and it looked nicer and didn't feel as creepy. I got to talking with the building owner and through the course of conversation, he just throws it out there that a former tenant committed suicide in the closet by hanging themselves. He also mentioned that the original designer of the building lived in that apartment and died in there. I wasn't mad when I heard that, but felt validated that what I experienced was real. Ooh. Nice little one, that. Yeah. It was short but effective, I believe. Mm. I thought it was quite... Scariness. It was, it, more, it was more of a gasping. Yeah. Right, when the closet door was open, that freaked me out a bit. Yeah, scariness eight, believability six. Is this like an American thing? Like, all these stories, presumably, at the minute are American. And, like, do they just leave closet doors open? Because fuck that. Well, if you leave a closet door shut, there's no room for a scary story because just nothing ever comes oh, out Oh, yeah, I know, but at the same point, like, it ain't happening. Yeah, I look, my door's never left open. So, this last one, as I said, it's a mix between a creepypasta and a Reddit story. I've seen it on Reddit a lot. And it's quite a long one, and it's told from the perspective of a teenage boy, so the language is a little bit different from what I'd normally use. And I don't know how to pronounce the name. I think it's I'm, it's either a Nanzai or a Namzi. So I'm going to go a Namzi <coughs> because I feel like that's the word I'm going to... That's how I'm going to say it. So a Namzi's Goatman story. Now, this little bit is told in short text, just to give you a little lowdown about him, what was going on that weekend and why they were there and things like that. So he was 16... He was black and had family down in Alabama. They owned a farm and owned a huge amount of land down in Huntsville. His uncle owns a big house and a bunch of trailers they put out in the woods for hunting or camping. His down south cousins suggested that they go there to camp. They all take the mick out of him because he's a city kid from Chicago. They collected food, killed a pig and some chickens and they brought necessities to camp out for a few days. They get to the camp and it's obvious something's weird. The air has this weird electric smell like right before a storm. They thought nothing of it and unpacked to go down to a little creek to swim for a few hours. All of a sudden, some older white guy and a white teenager came out of the bushes. He had a shotgun in the crook of his arm and said hello and asked us what they were doing that far back in the woods. They told him about their uncle, who he knows, and says that they're camping out. Then the man said that they need to be real careful out there and stick together, and there was a big animal in the woods. His son, who is the same age as an Anzi, uh, asks his age and if he can stay and hang out with them. 
and everything's a-okay. So that's where they are. Right. We end up playing football, dicking around with me, there's the white kid, Tanner, five of my cousins, and then four of their friends. In total, there were five girls and six boys. We were all around 15 to 17. We ended up just dicking the day away. So we head back to the camp and pulling out some stuff for a campfire, even though the trailers both had kitchenettes. Tanner says that his family's property sits up against my uncle's. He wants to run home and ask his dad if he can come out camping with us. My cousin Rooster says he's going to go with him since it's going to get dark soon. One of the girls also wants to tag along. It's about seven o'clock and it's starting to get pretty dark. They take, te- they take flashlights and take the trail towards Tan's property. The rest of us chill, we make schmores, drink and kiss on the girls. About 30 or 40 minutes later, there's the smell of ozone again. You can smell it over the smell of the fire we had started, just like before the storm. This really nasty, coppery smell, like right after you've had a nosebleed and it's stopped. It wasn't exactly like dry blood, but it was that nasty metallic back of your throat smell. We immediately thought it was some kind of electrical malfunction or someone left a hot plate on or some shit. We search the trailers and nothing is on and we can all smell it. All of a sudden, we can hear people bucking down the path towards us and Rooster, Tan and the girl all come running into the clearing out of breath and they don't even break stride. They all run into the trailer right by where the fire is. We all get the fuck out of there and into the trailers. They end up calming down. Even Rooster is crying his fucking eyes out at this point. All the while, the fire is guttering lower and lower so my other cousins say fuck it and are about to go outside to get the generator out of a shed between the trailers. Tanner goes, fuck no, lock the front door, ain't nobody else going outside. He's been crying too, and his eyes are bloodshot and puffy, and his pants are dirty as shit. He goes on to tell us that they went up to his house. His father said sure, he could go out camping, but to make sure they were careful on the way back, and that maybe they should take one of the hunting rifles just in case. Evidently, Tanner had seen something in their yard a few days before. One of their pigs had come up, ripped up and half-eaten. They assumed it was just some big cats or coyotes, even though they don't usually fuck with live animals. He'd gone upstairs and packed his stuff and told his dad they'd be okay without the rifle because coyotes avoid people. So they started walking back towards where we were camping. So, Rooster finally stops crying and shaking at this point. The girl already had, but she was just staring out the window with a dumb look on her face. He says they'd gotten halfway into the woods towards the camp when they started to hear shit in the forest. It was almost pitch black by this time, so they weren't sure at first what the fuck it was. The girl says she heard something in the bushes right off the trail, and they all beamed their flashlights over there, and there was someone standing back in the woods in a little hollow. Rooster said they shouted at him and told him that he was scaring the fuck out of them and what a dick he was. He says that's when he realised that the guy was facing away from them. So they keep walking, and they start smelling the nasty coppery ozone smell. They say they look off in the forest on the opposite side and it's a dude standing in the forest, backwards, slightly closer to the path. So now they start power walking and Tan keeps going, I should have taken the fucking rifle. As they tell him the story, the smell is still super strong, even inside the cabin. They say that after they start walking faster, a kind of low gibbering sound had come from both sides of the wood. And as they started booking it back to the trailer, The girl said she had flashed a flashlight out into the woods to the side of them and had seen something jerking itself through the woods. The gibbering just got louder and louder and then they could see the light from our campfire. Something had come out of the woods about 40 yards behind them onto the track and they had just flat out ran as hard as they could to the trailer. So we're out fucking in the woods. No, 
That's a very Jesus strong Christ. statement. Fucking <laughs> about in the I was woods. doing so well. So we're out in the fucking woods. <laughs> <laughs> so we're out fucking in the woods. I Ga- could do look, it. I'm building on beyond. Sorry, I fucked it. Right, let's get back into it. So we're out in the fucking woods. And we're... Se- <laughs> and we're- such a simple mistake, but such a brutal <laughs> one at the same time. And, and that one of them takes it very out of context. Oh, God. And we're assuming at this point it's some rednecks or some shit trying to fuck with us. All of a sudden, my other cousin Junior starts going on about how he went to school with a native kid that was telling him about the goat man or some shit. We promptly tell him to shut the fuck up because we don't need any spooky talk right now. But he just keeps going on and on about how it's the fucking goat man and how we're in his woods and blah, blah, blah. Now, at the time, I'd never heard of this goat man or any of that. But then a couple of years ago, the year before I graduated from college... I had a menum for a roommate and I ended up asking him about it. And to sum it up, it's basically a fucking man with the head of a goat and he can shapeshift and he gets among groups of people to terrorise them. It's also supposed to be like kind of a Wendingo and it's bad mojo to even talk about it and even worse if you see it. Keep in mind, I don't know this back when I was 16. So my cousin is going, the goat man's going to get in and fucking get us. The girls are all terrified and my cousins and I are all fucking trying to figure out if it's some hillbillies or if it's some animal. So all of a sudden, the smell just goes away. Like, to this day, I haven't even experienced anything like it. Like, usually smells fade away or lessen. It was just literally there one second and then not in the next second. So it's after an hour, making it around nine or ten. We've stopped shitting bricks enough to go back outside and stoke the fire again. We figure it was just some assholes trying to fuck with us, so we don't go back home. Because we think if we do, they'll chase us through the woods or some crazy shit. Nothing else weird happens that night, and we stay another night. And for the main part of the night, nothing happens. At about one in the morning, we're outside getting drunk and telling ghost stories. Fucking in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Ruining it! (laughs) As someone is finishing some spooky story, I don't remember what about, the smell comes back. It's so fucking strong that one of the girls literally starts vomiting. I stand up, and you can actually feel how clammy the air is. I say we should get inside, and this isn't right. We should have just fucking left. This guy swears more than I do, and that's why this is. I'll comment on it back at the end because I don't want to interrupt your flow. As much as I've already interrupted it myself, <laughs> we all go back inside and we're standing around. My cousin just keeps going on and on about how it's the goat man, and my cousin Rooster tries to shut him the fuck up. And all the while, I'm just feeling like something is wrong, and I can't figure out what the fuck it is. We end up sitting in there for a while. The smell is just as strong and we're all terrified and all huddled in this camper. We end up cooking brats for everybody because nobody wants to go outside. It's one of those packs with four brats. We have a total of three packs. I grill them up on the stove and give everybody a hot dog. I get mine. After a while, one of my cousins gets up and goes over to the pot to get another one. He starts grumbling about how I get two brats and everybody else only gets one. And I look at him like he's fucking stupid. I tell him that everybody only got one because there were only 12 brats. If he wants more, he should open up a new pack and cook some more. That's when the girl who had been out with Rooster and Tan just starts screaming. Oh, Jesus, get it out. She's crying and shivering. And then it dawns on the cousin standing up. What the fuck is wrong? Me and him both glance around the room and I can feel my heart fucking sink. I run the fuck out of the cabin and the girl runs out with us. The trailer door is banging against the side of the trailer as everybody books it out the cabin. One of my cousin's friends asks us what the fuck was wrong. I start counting us. There's only 11 now. 
I shit you not, my cousin verified. There have been 12 people in the cabin. But being that everybody didn't really know each other well, nobody had really noticed the whole fucking time that there was an extra person. And then I realised earlier that I kind of noticed something was off. You know when you're just dicking around and having a good time and you don't sweat the smallest shit and you don't always keep track of certain stuff? I'm dead sure that someone else had been in the trailer with us and that they had been there for at least a fucking day eating with us. What makes worse is I could figure out which one because I didn't think ever anyone ever actually interacted with the other person slash the goat man. The girl kept praying to Jesus and we're all sitting outside. Eventually we get big ass sticks and go back in the cabin but there's nobody in there. We count again and there's 11 people. We go back into the trailer and lock the door. We explain what the fuck happened and the girl says that she realised too and that when he was about to say something, the person sitting next to her had grabbed her leg hard and leaned over towards her and said something she couldn't understand. So we're pretty much scared as fuck as we huddle together and I fall asleep. When I wake up, the sun is just coming up and half the people are asleep and the other half are packing our shit up. We all want to walk back home, but like four people want to stay until the sun is all the way up. And some people think that we're just fucking around and still want to stay at the trailers. I just want to get the fuck out of the woods. The girl's name was Kira, the one that the goat man had touched. Anyway, I asked her if she really thinks it was something bad. And she says she just wants to go home and she doesn't want to be out in the woods alone for another night. So we decide to split up. The four that want to go can go, but I have to stay because I have the keys to the cabin and it's my uncle's and I have to lock up. I'm super pissed at this point because I feel like people aren't taking this shit seriously and I definitely didn't want to be out of the woods for another night. I spend the rest of the day trying to convince the rest of the people now, four girls and four guys, to get the fuck out of Dodge. Tanner leaves with them to go get a rifle and says he's going to be back, so there are just seven of us left by 4pm. At around 5pm, he hasn't made it back yet and we're getting extremely fucking antsy and the only reason I stopped begging them to go back was because he went to get a gun. It's about 5.30pm or so when the one cousin that did stay says that the girl Kira is outside. We all look outside and sure enough she's standing by the fire pit with her back to the cabin. I'm thinking to myself, if she was so fucking scared, why the hell would she come back? And then I get this nasty feeling in my gut. Keep in mind the whole time the coppery smell has been gone. Now I realise I can smell just a twinge of it. I say this to the rest of them and everybody and these are the people that wanted to stay in the fucking woods after we had the goddamn goat man in our midst is laughing at me and asking if I'd set this up to scare them. I'm looking at them like I'm not fucking bullshitting you all right now. I ask them why the fuck would I play like that. So one of the girls goes outside to get Kira. She gets halfway to her and stops cold. Kira starts heaving. I don't know how the fuck to describe it. Sort of like if someone with a back turn was laughing without actually making any sound. It was this fact that made me realise there was not a fucking sound in the whole woods. It was dead silent. This was like later in September, so it was still fairly hot at the time, but it was super chilly some days too, and you could usually hear big-ass geese honking or some kind of birds or squirrels chit-chatting. So I step out of the door and tell her to come back in the fucking trailer right goddamn now. She backs up into the trailer and we lock the fucking door. We pull down all the shades except one and put a guy there in a chair to watch her. She stands there for another 20 minutes or so. The guy turns to say that she's still there and there's a huge fucking bang on the door. We all jump the fuck up and scramble around the living room of the trailer. The banging is super fucking loud. So now my cousin is holding one of the girls. The other two are kind of giggling with nervous laughter and me and the other two guys are shitting bricks. Then we hear Tan. He's screaming. 
Let me the fuck in. Stop fucking playing. So we go over to the door and open it. And he stumbles in with a rifle. There's nobody else outside. Evidently, he had walked up to the campsite. Nothing weird happened in the forest, but he had seen a girl. Mind you, he said it was not Kira standing there. When he had gotten to the edge of the clearing, she had turned towards him with a slack-jawed look and just stared him down, slowly tracking him as he walked around the outside of the clearing towards the camp. He said it wasn't till he was almost halfway to the trailer that he realised she was getting closer to him. She had started off by the fire, and without him even seeing a move, she had been turning, inching closer. He said he just ran the rest of the way back to the cabin, thinking it would open, and when he got to the door and it was locked, he turned and it was about half the distance to the door. He looks around the room and gets super pale. He pulls me to the side and whispers in my ear, you know there are only seven of us in here, right? I get that feeling where your stomach drops to your nuts. It had been back inside the trailer while we were sorting out who was going where, and then when we all went outside to talk earlier in the day, it had just slipped right back in. We looked out the window and there was nobody out there. So we recount everyone and then basically I go over and ask everyone how many people were here earlier and everybody says eight. I say, well, how many are in here now? They all do a count and they realise there are now only seven people in the cabin. So Tanner brought back a couple of boxes of ammo and his rifle and he had told his dad that there was some kind of animal in the forest because he didn't think his dad would believe him if he said it was Goatman. He says that his cousin is supposed to be coming down in a few hours and that in the morning we can all go back to his place and his cousin will drive us home. Now I'm really fucking terrified, but at least we feel... But I at least feel better because we can be American and shoot the fuck out or whatever it is if it comes back. But then my cousin gets into the huge argument with one of the girls because she thinks I'm trying to be funny and prank them and that she's getting really scared and I'm not funny. He keeps telling her that I'm not that kind of person and she says, well, how do we know the girl wasn't just Tanner in a wig? Or if it's really the goat man, how do we know that this is the real Tanner and the goat man just didn't kill Tanner in the woods and take his gun? So we fucking get into a huge argument about this where me and Tanner like, we could seriously be in danger because the very least, someone has been sneaking themselves into our fucking trailer without us knowing and mingling with us. And at worst, something bad is in the forest fucking with us. One of the girls is crying and saying she wants to go right now. And we're trying to tell her we shouldn't because none of us are walking through the woods in the middle of the night. At this point, the sun is starting to go down and it's getting a little cloudy out. We eat something and turn on the radio for a while, but we can't really get a station out there with anything decent. So we turn it off about the time that Tan's cousin shows up. He was like 19, I think. At this point, the sun is just barely over the horizon and he has one of those heavy-duty lantern flashlights and another rifle. He walks up to the trailer and we whisper to Tan, asking if he's sure that's his cousin, and he says yes. The guy looks behind him and all around the camp, then walks in. He kind of glances at all of us and looks a little confused. He says, where's your other little buddy at? I figured she would meet me up at the cabin. Is she a little slow or something? He also asked whether he had been cooking blood in the cabin because it smelled like blood and hot pans all the way up the trail. We are all like fucking nope. But we ask him what the fuck he's talking about with the girl he saw. He had come down the same trail Tan had been using and he had come back up on one of those guys' buddies standing in the middle of the trail, looking at him slack-jawed. He had asked her a bunch of questions but all she did was just look at him. Then she smiled at him and he said he kept walking. She couldn't seem to keep up with him and kept lagging a little behind him. He asked her if she was hurt or something and if she needed any help, but she had continued to stare. Eventually, he'd been walking and turned around a bend into the trail, but when he turned around and went back to see if she was okay, the trail was empty. He'd assumed that she'd taken some sort of shortcut through the woods to our trailer. 
We tell him the whole story of what's been going on. I half expected him to say we were full of shit, but he just listened and then sat down on the couches in the living room. Tanner's cousin gets back to the girl. He says when she had tried to like, she kept trying to lag behind him. It kind of weirded him the fuck out, so he tried to keep her in front of him. But no matter how slow he walked, she was always lagging a little behind, and that he smelled this nasty smell, and it got stronger as he got to the camp. Eventually, it got really strong. She had said something really low that he didn't catch, and when he had turned around, she had been right the fuck up on him, and he stepped back from her. It was at this point he asked her if she was okay, and if she wasn't, him to carry her back to the rest of the way, and she just kept staring. He said he reached out for her, as in to grab her on the shoulder, but he must have misjudged the distance, because she was off to the side off where he had put his hand, like she had moved whilst he was looking at her. So at this point, we know this shit's real, unless Tan is playing a joke which we can tell he's not because he's almost pissing his pants. So they load up the rifles, we eat some more, and we just kind of sit around until about 11. To this fucking day, every time I think about this, I really pray to God that it's some huge prank that my cousins played on me and just never revealed so I would shit for the rest of my life. At around 11, the stink of copper turned into an actually nastily gross blood-like smell, like cooking blood and singed hair. Tan and his cousin, Reese get the fuck up and instantly grab the rifles. There's like a half knocking, half clawing at the door and I shit you not, there's this voice and it sounds like when you see those YouTube cats and dogs whose owners teach them how to talk. It says in this halting, weirdly toned voice, let me the fuck in, stop fucking playing. It made my fucking nuts creep up against my body and one of the girls just starts crying and calling on Jesus. It was so fucking obviously not a person talking. It didn't have the right cadence and that's some shit that I never realised until that moment. All the people have a certain cadence when they talk, no matter what language. All people have a certain kind of rhythm to talking. This shit didn't have any cadence or rhythm. One of those YouTube cats, that's what the fuck it sounded like outside the door. So now I'm in full terror mode. We keep yelling outside, who is it? Stop fucking around, man. And it just keeps saying in or let me the fuck in for almost 15 minutes. So then the smell goes away for a while. And for the next hour or so, you can hear someone basically creeping around in the woods and shit. Every couple of minutes, it'll come back to the door and say something. Finally, when the smell fades away, it's around two in the morning right now. Reese says, man, fuck this, and opens the door and walks outside with his rifle. He fires a shot in the air and says something to the effect of, in the name of Jesus Christ, go away. He fires two more times, and then from the woods, right up against the river across the trailer, it sounds like something is gibbering and hooting. Then it starts screaming, and it sounds almost like a woman and a cat in a bag screaming together. Like I seriously have never heard any shit like that. And you can hear the brush over the way to start to shake. Reese fires over into the tree line and then starts backing into the house. We lock the door and we can hear this shit keening and screaming. Reese says something had come out of the bushes super low to the ground and crawling towards the cabin. He'd shot at it. Pretty much that was how the rest of the night went. It was literally screaming constantly for the next two hours and we could hear shit moving out in the tree line but it never came back up to the cabin until everyone had finally fallen asleep. Tan had been sitting in the chair watching the door with his rifle. Nobody else heard or saw this and he told me two days later after the whole thing was over. He said he'd been nodding off after the screaming and noises finally stopped and he'd almost been asleep when he saw someone come out of the bathroom and then lay down in the middle of the floor and go to sleep. He just assumed it was one of us and had nodded off. Then he said he kind of realised something was wrong in the cabin and while pretending to be sleeping he counted us. There were nine people in the cabin 
he basically didn't want to try and shoot at the fucking thing in the cabin and have it kill us all and there or have reese wake up and start shooting and then we kill ourselves so he just stayed awake all night pretending to be asleep he said sometimes it would stand up and do this kind of weird jittery thing or heave like it was laughing but then it would lay back down the story closes pretty weak because from my perspective nothing happened we woke up and i noticed that tam was a little jittery and that he was avoiding looking at all of us but we ate some breakfast packed up and started walking to his house he stayed last in the cabin and said he'd lock up and bring me my uncle's keys to just start walking and he'd catch up which i didn't really want to fucking do we got a little bit up the path and then he came running up basically we just jogged back to his house his cousin took us home there was a window in the bathroom Tan had gone back to lock up and looked in there. We were too stupid to lock a screenless window. The window was fucking up when we went in there. I'm guessing it had been doing that all along, waiting for us to fall asleep or slip up and then getting in among us. It walked with us all the goddamn way back to his house. And then he said it lagged to the back of the group and looked him dead in the eyes before walking into the woods. That's a good one. Do you know that that'll make a good film? It would make a great film. And I like the fact... The reason I'd say believability five, but that's mm-hmm. not sagging off. That's not so, yeah. saying something's not really believable. It just sounds unbelievable. Scariness nine. Yeah, it was freaky. I think the fact that that like as soon as you said shapeshifter, that's always a good base for a story because it can be anywhere and anything, and you never realise. I thought it was poorly written in the sense that they just overdo the swearing. They're trying to put yeah. it, shove it in your face. It's some young teenage kids talking here. There was just so much unnecessary swearing in there. Yeah. Um, but it didn't. It didn't ruin the story. Uh, I think they all seemed a bit calm in the morning. A bit too calm if yeah. they've been shown it. But then I suppose if you've been laid awake with it all night and they haven't done it yet, yeah, you would be a bit more chilled out. Calm. But it's just the fact it was among them all. Yeah, time. that's 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 a good bit about it. It's it was all always there, and then the giveaway was the smell. If you can smell it, it's it's close. Smell it, it's there, but they didn't realise that's all right at the end. If you smell it, it's there. That was one of the best. Well, that, that, that was probably the best one out of the five. Yeah, it was creepy. So, yeah, that was and good. those are my five creepiest Reddit stories. We don't do Would You Rabbers for these mini episodes, do we? No, it's we just don't. the weekly ones. It's yeah. just the weekly ones. So that's it then. The next one we'll see is. Do we even know which one the next one Lost we'll Boys. See? Lost Boys, yeah. You will be seeing the Lost Boys next Monday. So, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye.